Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who is an officer, farmer, used bookseller, taxi dancer, and currently a traveling wine salesman. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and you add movie star to that list. Yeah, right? Blowing up big. Here's the thing. Here's the best part, okay? The German is... I mind you, I haven't studied German in like fifteen years, okay? But yeah, I have a couple questions, and this mostly may be a failure on my part for English. An antiquarian is that an is that a another word for a used bookseller? Maybe, because that's what he was. He was an antiquarian. Is one of the jobs. Yeah, and I could see I could see how that could be a used bookseller. I I get how that's possible. I just don't know. The other thing, taxi dancer. I'm pretty sure that word just means gigolo. Like, I'm 90% sure that word means gigolo, okay? Like, that's the one I'm almost certain of. But taxi dancer? The so an is antiquarium is anyone who deals in antiques, but particularly Antique rare books. books. Okay, so that, made, that one makes sense. But I'm, like I said, I feel like somebody somewhere along the line was like, we can't right that this guy's a gigolo right there is a non-euphemistic use of the word term taxi dancer too as someone who uh either works for or just hangs out at dance clubs okay to be an available dance partner so here's here's my problem okay is the german who does mean dancer too but i think almost always has the implication of being a gigolo yeah. Like, I'm pretty uh, sure. Well, we're on... there's other words for dancer that don't also mean gigolo. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, one of the bonus features described, uh, uh, I think, Fred Zimmerman. Um, or maybe uh, or maybe it was uh, Eugene Shifflin. Um, as someone who had developed uh, camera effects. Uh-huh. Uh, but the German is camera <laughs> tricken. Yeah, yeah. And that made me laugh a lot. Oh, yeah. German's a, a beautiful language. <laughs> Pat, before we get into our movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. We do a non-Criterion film. Uh, I put together a list, usually themed, and let our supporters vote on what we're going to watch. Most recently, we watched Wee's Big Adventure. That was a fun one. It was a fun one. Oh. in the past, we've watched such classics as uh, Failsafe, uh, Louis Malle's God's Country, and Critters 2. Uh, classics. Cinema classics, yeah. all of them. It's a good list of movies. It's such a list of movies that one day, I believe, there will be a podcast dedicated to just <laughs> to exploring our, our curated list of movies. Our maybe, bonus maybe, list. Maybe, you know, weirder things have happened. Yeah. What if we started that podcast, podcast dedicated to breaking down episodes of podcasts? Yeah, would what be would be too, it's it's a, such a it's thing a, probably exists. It is, I'm sure, so. but it also sounds like a fucking nightmare. Yeah, 
Well, I assume uh, it's kind of like the if you train AI on other on AI, it'll be like one of those things where like at some point the Ouroboros will just like eat itself and the person who's doing the podcast will explode, go on max headroom and then die. <laughs> um Max Headroom or scanners? Is that No, I think it's gonna be a little bit of both. I think he's gonna start doing the, the Max Headroom glitching and then he'll scanners. That makes sense. So don't get caught in that feedback loop, but do go support us on Patreon. Yeah, please. Uh, like like I said, just a dollar a month gets you access to that bonus episode and the whole back catalog of bonus episodes. There's a little over 70 right now. Our next tier up is at $5 for folks who uh, can afford it and want to help keep us going a little bit more and get those server bills paid faster. Literally, their only added bonus. Obviously, they get access to the bonus episodes, too. Uh, but their only added bonus is that we thank them on air. Uh, so thank you so much to our $5 supporters. Andrew Jarrett, Chris Otto, Eric Coronado, and Stephen Goldmeyer. Yes, thank We're you. so happy to have you at the $5 mark. A bit above that, we do something pretty dang special. Yeah, we at do. $10 and above. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and uh, write a little personalized thank you note and mail that off once a month. also like to thank those folks on air. Thank you so much to Adam Speakerman, Tracy McGrath, Nina Bajnak, Jason Westhaver, and Patrick Yako, our $10 and above supporters right now. Yes. Uh, many of you have you. been supporting us at that mark for multiple years. And, uh, yeah, we're very grateful for it. Uh, anything that pays our server bills, we're very grateful for it. <laughs> it's like the idea that like that that is really the only reason we need to be supported at all. It's just to pay the server bills. Occasionally it buys us new microphones. It has never done, once done that and for me. Right. Let's be very clear here. <laughs> well. Well, that's because you haven't given me a bill. <laughs> I, I don't send you bills. Um, I believe in, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I believe. I just don't like to send, I don't like to ask for money. Um, no, uh, I just make, I just make other organizations pay for that. Yeah, there you go. Uh, if you want to see those postcards without uh, committing to that $10 marketing head over redbubble.com, Search for Lost in Criteria, and there you can see past postcards and buy them as postcards, greeting cards, stickers, uh, buttons, some of them, uh, all sorts of things. Thank you I also to everyone who's ever purchased anything off that Redbubble. Uh, we don't make a lot of money off of it because we've set our margin super low. I mean, do we uh, make any is, money uh, off of it? Well, <laughs> like, have we ever, we've never uh, actually been able to get any money out of it. Technically, we have not. Uh, we have not yet reached the lower threshold for Redbubble to cut us a check. So, I, considering what uh, our margins is, I really do legitimately wonder if that will ever happen. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, no, it's fun. It'll be I'm, really funny when I'm we get still... a check from Redbubble in like six years. The best part is the chances of Redbubble, there's actually a higher chance of Redbubble going out of business before they send us a check than us, of, of us actually getting a check. Yeah, that's that's probably fair. Uh, but yeah um, thank you so much to everyone who has purchased anything yes. else at Red Bull thank you to everybody who supported us on Patreon and thank you for listening yeah despite the fact that we're never going to gain money out of Red Bubble I appreciate it because it makes me feel good about myself yeah no it's good uh, and people get to see your art uh, Pat this week we we're watching a 1930s German film called People on Sunday uh it's it's got a lot of people involved with it. Yeah, it does. Uh, so, so first off, just as the fact that it is 
a somewhat documentarian look at Berlin in 1930. Yeah, Weimar Repu- late, uh, late Weimar is, Republic Germany. Yeah. yeah. Is neat. Yeah, it is historically important there. Um, but also, uh, Robert Siedemek, uh his brother Carl, Edgar G. Ulmer, uh Eugene Schlufflin, Billy Wilder, and Fred Zinneman all worked on this movie. Uh, all came together uh, to form a film studio called Film Studio 1929. Uh, the title card of this movie says Film Studio 1929 presents its first experiment. Uh, I believe it was also its last experiment. Yeah, it checks uh, out. Because most of most of the guys signed on with other companies directly after this. To be fair, they are also uh, making movies in late Weimar Republic Germany, which is not exactly right, a great place right, to right. start making movies. Well, the uh, Wilder, uh, the uh and at least one other of the people I mentioned uh, all had to leave Germany within three yes, years. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. Um, most of them went to France for a little bit and then on to Hollywood. Yeah, I want, uh, yeah. Um, Zinnemann had already been working in Hollywood, as far as I understand, um, and made it back. Yeah, I mean, all of these people are famous. So, yeah, like. that was exactly. I mean, that is the that is the thing, right? Yeah. Is that like this is one of those things where like, oh, right, like when you're at like relatively early days of a medium. I mean, in 1930s is relatively early days still, right? Yeah. Like, you get these sort of confluences of like, oh yeah, like a bunch of the fucking famous people who, you know, eventually, you know, a bunch of the people who will become famous for this thing all are sort of bumping into each other because it's still very much a small world, right? Yeah, and they all, they're all they all young. Uh, most of them are in their 20s. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're starting out here. There is some disagreement about who did what uh, in, this, okay. in this movie. Uh, with uh, Kurt Siedemack has said Billy Wilder did worked on maybe two minutes of the movie. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, basically, every basically everyone has taken full credit over the course of. I course love of it. The years. I'm, I'm glad to know that they like they're doing the, yeah. the the actual classic move of oh yeah no we all yeah. made all of this movie. Yeah, most of them concurrently, like in interviews in the same year, but not actively arguing. I mean, with like one another, it, you know, the only said. way that gets better is if it's in the same room. But you know, yeah, <laughs> yes, uh. They, one you know, one counterpoint, though, is that one of our bonus features is a 2000 documentary uh, on the film uh, and the making of and the, the restoration. Talks to a uh, film restorer uh, who is working on the restoration, but also talks to Kurt and talks to uh, the actress um, who plays Bridget, Bridget Borscher. Uh, who was like ninety at the time, uh, lived to be a not when she made the movie. When she was interviewed, I think not when she made the movie, but when she made the document when she was interviewed for the documentary. And Bridget says that in her memory, what would happen is that every weekend they would go out to the country, and her and the rest of the actors would sit at a table in a cafe with their ten dollar per diem. Uh and with their $10 per diem, they would eat roasted potatoes and sausage 
because it was the cheapest thing on the menu in the cafe. Right. And then they'd have more money to take home. Um, and she says that while they sat there, uh, all of the production staff were at another table hashing out what they would film that day. Yeah. Basically that sounds, improvising the whole that thing. That sounds, that to me sounds fundamentally much more, correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's much more believable than each of these guys individually saying, oh, I wrote the script. Well, the other thing though is about Bridget it is saying, right, there was no script. Right. And and <laughs> the thing about it is, is right. That's like the, that is a kind of class. Like that is the sort of classic a bunch of very young people making a movie sort of dynamic oh, yeah, right absolutely. none of them yeah. really necessarily know what they're doing so they're all just sort of fucking winging it right yeah uh that documentary and also the title card uh at the beginning of the film uh both point out that in the original cut of this film there were 2104 meters of film uh that has been lost. Right. The cut we're watching is 1,839 meters, which means we're listening. We're missing about 250 meters of film, uh, which is about eight minutes of film. Um, the bulk of what we're seeing is based on a 1,615 meter cut. Uh, so missing 500 from the original that was in the Netherlands film museum, uh, because very early on someone in Holland imported the movie, uh, some film enthusiast, and it ended up in the Netherlands film museum archive. Um, and then that's supplemented with, uh, other cuts and some, some as short as 10 meters, uh, that they found in various other film archives around Europe over the years. So, uh, yeah, still missing at least 300 meters of film. The archivist in, uh, in that documentary bit, um, whose name is Martin Korber, by the way, uh, he talks about how uh, some of the stuff they found, they only know it's in the movie because it was labeled in a can with the movie's title on it. Like, there's a montage sequence that he found. That 10-meter se- stretch is a montage sequence that he has no idea where, where it belongs in the movie. Oh, God. Uh, from what they show in the documentary, I think it is in our cut, though. I think it's part of that, that montage of just people uh, in the park on the beach. Yeah, my guess is uh, that, that, I guess at that point you just sort of but, take a bit of a guess and be like, all right, well... yeah. This seems like the most likely Just throw it location. in there. Well, I, what I found interesting, I did not watch the documentary. I did not have time, but I did yeah. watch the, um, you know, I watched the extra short that came with it, and I also, you know, I, well, I obviously watched the movie, of course. But like, um, the yeah. thing I found interesting was the thing where they they said in that the title card reconstruction was done based on censors' notes, like the oh, yeah, censors yeah, yeah. essentially created a record of what they were upset about, which works as a sort of a sort of archival document for the the movie. Right. I just, I find that, that, that yeah. somehow seemed just so kind of like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. The, uh, the film restorer talks a little bit about reconstructing what they, deciding what they know to be in the film based on the uh, censor's notes and what got cut when it was imported to the Netherlands. Uh, 
and particularly the Netherlands additional sensor notes. Um, the title cards, <clears throat> we've experienced this before of a lost film where the title cards are recreated from the sensors, uh, where I presume that the sensors just have like one document that is every title card so that they can, they yeah, can that, that was my assumption text yeah. as needed. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, I'm I'm sure that other sensor documents are about the uh, particular scenes and things, but it does seem like uh, the title card ones are maybe their own document, so that that can exist even as other information about the movie doesn't, uh, which I find fascinating too. Either way, I think it's relatively safe to assume that what we are getting is a sort of. Um, highly sort of modified version you know what i mean like there's no obviously like we'll never know right but like it does kind of like bring to mind the idea that oh yeah we're getting like some a a highly reconstructed cut of this movie right like that that who knows how close it is to the thing that was actually made and i i find that both that's both kind of depressing and also kind of exciting and interesting to think about it's like oh yeah like yeah well, no, we, along with all other people on Earth, will never know exactly what this movie was. Like all the people who, yeah, were, were you know, were pat, you know, because like even you know the actors probably were not very much help because they may or may not have seen a completed cut of the movie they were in, you know, and right. It's really I don't know that it's it's all very fascinating to me. Right, at least not since the premiere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in Weekend for Wansi, the, the 2000 documentary, the behind the scenes thing, um, making up whatnot, uh, it cuts frequently between Bridget and Kurt and the film restorer and the narrator saying things about the film. And then, uh, particularly with Kurt describing, uh, production, cutting, cutting back to Bridget saying something that undermines whatever he said, basically. Right. Uh, uh, but, uh, Kurt, Kurt, at least in his old age, uh, is, uh, seems to be a pretty sarcastic old man. Uh, and at one point he says, oh, I've, I've seen, I've seen what they put together. It's not very good. Oh, for Uh, this? That's funny. About this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whether or not he was being completely serious, who knows? But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh. I don't know. Uh, he's he's good natured about it, but he's also not not betraying if he's joking or not about any individual thing he says. Uh, it's very silly to watch. Um, the original <laughs> one other thing from that documentary that I really love. Uh, they quote the program from the premiere, uh-huh. uh, which describes the plot of the movie and and how. Uh, how it's all amateur actors um, who would go back to their day jobs after the film. Uh, But at one point, the program says uh, about the plot, what happens? Nothing happens. Uh, Proto-Seinfeld is what we're talking about here. There's a little more hugging in this than Seinfeld. But Bridget also claims that everyone was contracted for $500 for acting, or 500 marks, rather. Um, Those are not the same. But thing. she was, she was. She, it's true. They're not. 
Uh, she was secretly given a raise so that she made 1,000 marks. Uh, but also, that's, uh, that's balanced against the narrator saying uh, it was over a year before she got paid. <laughs> so, Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and obviously, this is not just Germany on the brink of Hitler coming to power. This is Germany on the brink of the great depression right reaching if not if not I mean, already it should there, already right? be i i always lose yeah. track but like i think what like 1928 is a finance one of the financial crises that yeah like and and you know of course a leads to b right that's a big big part of the rise of the right of, of right, fascism right, yeah, yeah. sort of globally um yeah i don't know it it's it, i one of the most interesting things like i i do find i despise world war ii history okay as a fundamental sort of concept but i find the late days of the weimar republic to be extremely interesting like Mm -hmm. just because it's just sort of like a it's sort of a like a how-to manual for like how to like fuck up your like i mean like it's a it's clearly a very very dysfunctional government right like you know what i mean like it is dysfunctional on a sort of a core level and it's like I, just the idea of being like essentially just handing over your government to this this fucking asshole. Like here, yeah, yeah, you take care of it. You'll deal with the problems. I would say there's there's definitely an indication here we are still on the brink of the depression. At least within the urban core, it's not hit. Uh because none of these people are especially concerned. Like Bridget, Bridget, in her meta text, in describing her pay and and how they how they are scrimping on the per diem to have more money, suggests that their money's tight. Right. Well, but what we see portrayed in the film are a bunch of people with pretty middle class jobs doing pretty middle class things. Uh, the record store clerk, uh, the model, uh, and everybody goes out to the countryside for the whole weekend these are these are petty bourgeois right but but bear in mind that like you know economic recessions tend to sort of slowly filter their way up from the bottom in a lot of ways and like you know they are doing kind like but like you know store clerk is not a is not is she's probably it's not really a it's not a a lucrative job. Even she doesn't the best own the times. store. Yeah. I'm not saying that, but but selling records is also not a depression era. Well, job. That, yeah, no one's no one's got money for records. That, yes and no, <laughs> right? Because like, if you go back and look at like, re- like the sort of historical record for um, the United States, like sales of those kinds of entertainment products continued pretty much apace even during the war. I guess there is, the there is the, the counterpoint that those are the only times and kinds of entertainment. Right, well that's the thing, right? right? Is that like movie movie theater attendance still continued to be like run apace, right? right. People yeah. are in dire straits but they budget a higher percentage of their wages to do that because they need distractions, right? Like right. things are bad so you and start of course to, a week a weekend at the beach is a pretty cheap weekend. Like there, yeah, I mean, and when you sort of look at like our um, our actors here, right? Choosing to okay, so you've got this extra job. You're already doing an extra job, right? Like you have yeah extra work already, right? This is already your second job, right? 
and you're mm. and yet you're not like the money you're getting from it is not like oh I can just splurge with this. You're still scrimping it like sk- saving it away. Like you're yeah. skimping on meals on what is essentially your second job to ensure that you maximize right. the amount of money you get from that. That actually I think is a pretty bad look, right? Because like you know, it's very reminiscent of the where the where we are all right now in the sense that like right, right, your right. second job is not a well, this is a nice to have. This is a I have to have this or else things will go real crooked real fast. That's a, I think honestly that's a bad sign. And like bearing in mind that like you know we see a lot of the same sort of metrics in modern day that we that you would like if you go back and look at some of the you know I don't spend a lot of time working on you know thinking about the depression but um you know you do get the same sort of thing where like um where you know people are basically required to do these second works but like government statistics play out like a totally rosier picture right like government statistics say well i mean unemployment's low and that's all the the only thing that matters right but like well that's you have everybody doing two or three jobs right <laughs> like and none of them pay enough by themselves to be of to be a complete job right i, I don't know it just seems to me that like right i think it's one of those really easy things that can happen where you're like oh well you know they're like everybody looks happy <laughs> Not not that, that I'm accusing you of that, but like you know what I mean. Like it's like, well, things look fine because people go out of their way to try to yeah. make things look fine when the fucking walls are falling down and the fucking like house is on fire, right? You know what I mean? Like people still kind of go out of their way to like put up appearances. Never mind the fact that like you know a bunch of people who can afford to even think about making a film probably have some reserve of income somewhere. That is allowing them to do that. Maybe not the actors and actresses because they are, this is essentially just a second job for them, but the people making it are getting money to do it from somewhere because they're dedicating swaths of their of their time to it, right? And paying actors, right? Yeah. Like that money's coming from somewhere. I, I don't know where. I don't know anything about the sort of funding structure that existed for this film. Yeah, there wasn't one. They worked out, I mean, it was everything they could together which is why bridget hadn't been paid right so they, so there you go the yeah premiere. i mean like right. yeah like and in and in rosier times you could have probably found somebody to give you enough money to pay for film and stuff right right like when we go look at like a lot of the french new wave films and stuff they it's mostly just like well i i convinced some person i knew to give me enough money to buy the film Right. Whereas this seems like I sold one of my kidneys to pay for the film. Something like that. Yeah. I, they you do? started a dog washing business to pay for the film. Probably. Oh, yeah. Um. The most lucrative kind of business. And then apparently start, Absolutely. then they decided to, sh- to pivot into a winning prizes business. Yes. Which yes. I think is very funny. It's very mm-hmm. good. Yes, both of those references to the uh, the other work contained on the Criterion release here, Innsblau Heinen, or Into the Blue, uh, which is directed by Eugene Shufflin, who was the cinematographer in People on Sunday. Um, and visually, stylistically, very similar. Yeah. Uh, but uh, 
a little more plot going on in that short. Than yeah, that that's much more of a Sunday. movie uh, than than yeah. Uh, yeah. People on Sunday is uh, and much more depression era, openly depression era yeah. than our main film. Uh, but yeah, we'll get into more of that in a bit. I think probably maybe, but uh, we'll see. but yeah. So our our five actors in this film: Erwin Spletschover uh, is the taxi driver, and he tried to get into acting. Uh, had a couple more roles in uh, Cinemac, um, Cinemac um, movies, uh, but then tragically, uh, still working as a taxi driver as he as he had his fledgling acting career, uh, was accidentally run over by his own taxi. Oh my God, and died in 1932. That is yeah. terrible. Yeah. Uh, Wolfgang uh, is Wolfgang von Wotschausen, uh, who was a member of a wealthy family. Bridget talks about uh, hanging out at his family's estate uh, or him moving back to his family's estate and sort of disappearing for a while, I think is actually what she says. Um, but uh, he's the wine salesman. Uh, I mean, let's and... not sell the man short. He had a lot of jobs. Yes, he did. He did. Uh, he lived to 1973, uh, which would have made him uh, into his 60s. Uh, the only biographical information Wikipedia has on him, uh, on the page I'm looking at at least, uh, which is the, the films page, uh, is that during the Third Reich, he worked in mining. Oof. Uh, and then post-war, he sold sold books and audio cassettes in West Germany. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how much he worked in mining is euphemistic. Uh, well, I don't know his background, uh, but it's still not a great, no, great I mean, job even if, even if it's rank. not even, remo- so. even if it's not euphemistic, given the way the sort of economic right. structure of the third Reich worked, he, he worked at yeah. mining. He probably didn't make a lot of choices about getting into that career. Uh, yeah. Um, Crystal, uh, the film extra, uh, moved to the U.S. and had uh, had a bit part in at least one Hollywood film, Escape, 1940. She moved to the U.S., she got married, uh, and uh, yeah, died in New Mexico in 1960 in a plane crash. My God, we're like you're like yeah. we're like minutes away from this being like one of those like they they all open King Tut's tube and then yeah like this movie's well, cursed. Uh, Bridget, who we have an interview with, uh, lived to be a hundred, died in August of twenty. Oh, so we have a maybe a portrait of a Dorian Gray sort of kind of adjacent sort of situation maybe, here. Maybe. Where, uh, She's yeah. she's sucking on um, their life force or something. Yeah, maybe. Uh, hey, I'm 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 willing to. Doesn't buy seem like she ever. Doesn't seem like she ever left Germany. Uh, and there's really no information. She got married to an illustrator named William M. Bush in 1936, uh, but no uh, no exposing on what she did during World War II. 
It's best we don't uh, know. Probably best we don't know. And then our last actress, uh, Annie, the model, uh, Irwin's girlfriend, who spends the entire day in bed because Irwin's a jerk. <laughs> yeah, real asshole. Wikipedia says, there appears to be no information available about her. Okay. Uh, not even biographical information from production, but also certainly nothing after production. So, uh, yeah. Well, that's kind of scary in and of itself, considering what happens in that country not that much later. That's fair. But also, I mean, she's at least 22, or at least 18 as well, I mean, um, as everyone else is 19 to their early 20s. Uh, so it's 2023. She's dead either way. No, I, but. I, yes. I mean, I, I understand that. I was more operating on the like, yeah. boy. That is how time works. Yeah. Yeah. I, it is linear, uh, supposedly. Yeah. No, I just mean that like, no, no X, like we're, you know, and it sort of depends on how much right, effort right. Someone, has gone into. Someone who disappears from the historical record, uh, in, in Weimar, Weimar, like, Germany. Like Weimar Republic, Germany uh, towards the end of, of, of yeah. that whole thing. That's a scary, like, obviously yeah, nothing to be done about it at this point, but like that is a, that could have very serious implications about exactly what happened, right? Um, it's just a scary thing to think about. We don't know. I'm just sort of speculating, but boy, just appearing yeah. off the face of the earth is not a thing that usually happens. It's not right. necessarily a common. Well, maybe event. maybe she went to Mexico and just disappeared. Oh yeah, and got involved in the Spanish American War. Yeah, these things happen. You know, I, you know, I, you know, who doesn't want a question yeah. mark on their grave? Right. Yeah. Um. You don't know I didn't become a vampire. Can't prove it. Uh, but yeah, they all yeah for for amateurs they're all uh, they're all pretty pretty decent. Not that they're doing a lot here. Uh, they have a picnic, um, but they don't. Uh, you know, they're not constantly looking at the camera or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're professional like, about it. The funny thing about it is, is that in many ways, right? Like, I kind of like suspect. Like, I have a weird hunch that like. It feels like being a, a a sort of like amateur in silent film would be easier, but I suspect it's probably yeah. harder because there's just so much well, more be... emoting you need to do, like yeah, to convey meaning. You got to emote more, but also the, one of the benefits of a silent movie uh, or any movie whose sound is recorded uh, separately from the visuals is that. The director can just be yelling at you to do whatever. That's true. Constantly. You don't look sad enough. Be more sad. Yeah. Fucking chuck that thing at uh, your Bridget, husband, your boyfriend, or whatever. Yeah, Bridget talks about when her and Wolfgang were walking through walking through the woods, and uh, Robert would just be yelling, now kiss her again. Uh, so. <laughs> You're not kissing enough. Yeah. Uh, she also mentions that the, the record... That they break uh-huh. on film uh, is uh, was was an accident, and all of those records were borrowed. Oh shit! Uh, so oops. well, there's part of their budget <laughs> was buying that person all their records again. Yes, yeah. So you know another another story she says that suggests money was pretty tight on production too uh, is that 
they felt bad about accidentally, but they also left it in the movie. Right. Well, so, yeah, I mean, that's one of those things where, like, once it happens, we're not gonna cut it out. Yeah, it's like how with a stunt, with a, a how with like stuntmen, they if if that one of them gets hurt, it, they almost it's the scene almost always gets used because oh yeah, you gave yeah, your yeah. body for this, it's fucking going in the film. It's sort of I think the no, the dark. operative notion. Yeah, like when uh, like when Irwin burns his burns his mouth on the hot dogs. Right, has to go in the film. No, I think I think that was probably that was probably pretend. But oh, you knows? think? I you think it was say? staged? I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know. Well, that's one of those ideas, Billy. That's Billy Wilder's only only, only contribution, contribution to the, to the movie is burn your mouth on a hot dog. One of them needs to burn their mouth on a hot dogs, a real juicy sausage. Well, I mean, you know, if you're trying to do sort of a, a sort of a cinema veritas sort of thing, right? Like. Does anybody right. ever get through freshly made hot dogs without somebody burning their mouth? I think it might it's be true. impossible. I work right? in a hot dog restaurant. I know this. Like, yeah. well, that's the thing, right? That's like, why when, we don't serve any fresh hot dogs. At the right, hot dog exclusively so week no old. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, like the thing <laughs> yeah. about it is, is like, but that's the thing, right? Like, is that like nobody can ever quite wait the the rec the you know necessary time. Yeah. In this world, yeah, it feels very real. It's very human. It, the the movie overall reaction wise isn't all that authentic a lot of times, right? It's fine, but it's very clearly right. acting going on. Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, I'm much more interested in this film for its more document documentarian bits. Yes, for those meters and meters of film where we're just panning through crowds or seeing the field hockey game. Or particularly the the little montage where we have a street vendor say, "May I take your picture?" and we get like a minute of various people posing for photographs. Yeah, it, 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 uh, go ahead. Sorry, it's just it's a very human moment, and I I honestly I kind of teared up watching that. Well, just yeah, everybody in there. You you did a thing that happens right like with these kind of movies. Yeah, I would generally agree, right? Like the 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 story is kind of a is in many ways a kind of nothing. It's it's just what it is. It's fine. It's I guess an okay watch. But yeah, the ability to see you know the thing we've already talked about this point in history, but also the camera is very much pointed at normal people doing normal things in many times. Right. Like that's Absolutely. very yeah. valuable, um, not just from like a sort of historical record perspective, but like I was uh, listening. To, there's a the um, well, there's your problem. Did an episode on a bonus episode on photography a while back, talking about the fact that mm -hmm. like the sort of advent of, of film represents a sort of suddenly now people have like suddenly have long lasting extant records of their existence. Whereas prior yeah. to that, people just lived and then sort of vanished out of existence, right? And film, moving pictures do, do that even to a greater extent, right? Like now suddenly this person is not just a person who existed, but they're also a person who existed and is like moving and alive. And that's really right. valuable and interesting. And then like photographers turning their camera on the general public not like in a sort of negative way, but in a sort of like, oh, I'm just capturing human moments in the world. Is I I I do think is a very like beautiful thing a lot of times, right? Like this sort of, you know, oh, like 
we can just see people being alive, like going around and doing things. These people who have, most of whom have long since died, right, are alive and real right. and exist and doing things, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, and particularly seeing those everyday moments uh, from a historical period where we know things are about to get really, really bad. Right. So that you know, I, obviously the film, the film is ninety three years old, right? Right. Uh, so there is there is the aspect that even even it, even in a perfect world, most of these people, the vast I mean, all, yeah, basically people, all at this point. It's it's not passed mo- away you, by know, now, right? you know, we can so there is a know, remote possibility it's, it's that somebody's still alive. Yeah, but yes, right, right, but. With with the foreknowledge that a lot of the people we're seeing are going to be on one side or another of uh, jackboots in just three years uh, is uh, is very poignant to 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 see them living full lives right right very human reactions right so yeah in that regard as a historical document uh, it's very it's very moving to see. Um, Particularly the the documentarian bits, um, not that you know, not that the narrative bits are not good, uh, and they're nice and they're fun, uh, and it's nice to see amateur actors doing these things too. Uh, in that regard, you know, it's something lots of people bring up is that this presages uh, Italian neorealism and the French New Wave right. in that we're young people sort of guerrilla filmmaking. Uh, and, you know, to a certain extent, for much the same material uh, considerations as Italian neorealism, at least, right? You know, this is a time where people don't have the money to do big productions. So right. this sort of more realistic, on-the-ground stories are are what you can tell. Well, and also uh, Bridget also mentions that Bridget also mentions that their entire lighting apparatus was uh, Billy Wilder with a mirror kneeling under the <laughs> kneeling under the camera. Right. So, like, well, and that's the interesting thing about these kind of time periods, and I, I do think we, in in some ways, have seen a bit of a resurgence of the again material conditions being not that dissimilar yeah. from the material conditions of sort of the production of this film and stuff, like the, the the sort of gates of power for lack of a better term to get into this stuff have essentially been slammed shut like mm-hmm. you're not they, they're not going to get somebody to pay for this you know what i mean they right. want to do a certain kind of thing and ain't nobody gonna like let them just hand them a big wad of cash and say go do it right and so as a result right. you kind of end up with a um you know yeah like the there's more of this kind of stuff can happen right right because even even if we aren't at a point where the depression has reached berlin we are at a point where the people who control those purses see it's coming right they're right? They, you know and 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 those always kind least. of match along with you know your your sort of economic recessions and stuff like that this sort of like oh well we're not yeah we're not doing experimental stuff now. We are doing 
safe bets that pay good money. Right. Right. And that's it. You want to shoot 3,000 meters of footage for for what? Right, exactly. <laughs> They're not getting that money. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to know how they actually managed. Well, they did. There's, I know how they managed. There is a, uh, there's a producer who's involved here. Seymour, uh, Seymour Bezanel produced this, and he, he also um, would move to France and then Hollywood. Uh, by the end of the 30s, uh, as he was Jewish. Um, and yeah, he ended up you know, continuing to work with, with Billy Wilder in the U.S. And, and continuing to produce and finance films uh, after, after moving. Uh, he, actually, this is really interesting. Uh, he was a producer of M oh, um, okay. the next year. And one of the final movies he made before uh, before leaving uh, Germany was M. And then he also uh, is the producer and I believe one of the one of the guiding forces uh, on the um, 1951 version of M, uh, which was an American movie that I've never seen but only vaguely knew existed. Huh. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, came out in 51 U S production from Columbia pictures, uh, that he, uh, he headed up remaking. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, uh, Nebenzel financed this, uh, but also it seems like maybe he's in, he's kind of in as dire straits as everybody else. He might be a little more insulated as a film, as a film producer. He's got money coming in, right? But, but even but then, yeah. yeah. I mean, like you know, this is, you know, obviously there are people who do well during the depression, obviously. But yeah, I'm not getting the impression that any of these people are like, considering how shoestring everything seems to have been, right? You know, I my guess is right. Right. And some of them, some of them do come from money, and and even our actor Wolfgang comes from money, but uh, but that doesn't completely <laughs> that doesn't completely insulate you either, right? And and, and yeah. like Bridget I said, talking about, go ahead. I was just gonna say, you know, again, like you know, we sort of talked about this. I mean, that just that more in this sort of situation maybe just sort of allows you to even consider doing it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, I can afford to at least take a weekend off and go do this thing. Kind of. Nebenzol is the Cetamax cousin. I I forgot that connection. That's why why he's involved here. <laughs> but but yeah, uh, yeah. You know this as a portrait of Berlin at the time is very interesting. As a portrait of all of these uh, artists who would go on to do bigger and better things uh it's interesting too you know just just all of these guys working together on one thing is interesting period uh you know and we've already seen other films from many of the people involved here right right yeah um it's just an exciting thing that that it sort of you know 
it's just an exciting thing that it even exists, right? Right. So yeah, the other film we have on our on our bonus feature here, Into the Blue, uh, it's from 1931, and like I said, it's it's a little more dealing directly with uh, the financial crisis going on, right? Um, it's directed in in the only time he directed a movie uh, by uh, Eugene Shufton, who was cinematographer for. People on Sunday, and also cinematographer for Metropolis, huh. um, where he's he's credited with inventing uh, the rear projection process that they used in Metropolis too. This movie has much more of a plot. It is about uh, three guys who work together, and their business has collapsed. Um, so they're just hanging out in one of their cars, and then pick up one of uh, the younger guy's girlfriend. And just drive around, uh, and then decide in the second act to start another business. Uh, basically, steal the woman's idea because uh, she 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 gets a little money watching a dog, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we could watch dogs." Turns out they cannot. Turns out that they cannot. We get we, very, that, we get a very much a arrested development, you know, uh, narrator voice and. Sort of situation. There's there's also a, a one line implication that most of the dogs they've collected they've just stolen with the <laughs> with the intent of charging for boarding when when it the owner comes to get to the dog later. Way, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so they're running they're running a dog a dog scheme. Yeah, they're running they're running uh, some sort of dog kidnapping ring. Yeah, uh, and also washing them, and also. Uh, <laughs> agreeing to murder them when need be, even though they never actually like this guy, the guy who drops off the dog and gives them 10 marks, a, a fake 10 mark coin uh, to kill the dog. Like what? Why do they feel obligated to kill the dog? Just turn around and sell the dog. That's, I, that's yeah, I don't, do. I don't know. It's like, like I, I, one gets the impression that these are the, maybe the least qualified human beings on earth to be doing the job they're doing. <laughs> To even watch dogs. Yeah, like, yeah, it's like, oh, you guys are, like, in over your head, even with regards to this. Like, somehow you're, you're like, oh, God, we have a dog now. What are we going to do? Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's a dog. Certainly it can do something dog-related with it. But, no, they're like, well, we got to kill it. There's only one choice. Dog's got to go. Yeah. Um. As I said earlier, stylistically, this is very similar. It's shot in very similar ways to, to people on Sunday, though we have sound here. Um, asynchronous, uh, seemingly, because, I don't know, there's some sound, there's sometimes in the car where it feels like they have a microphone in the car, uh, but then mostly the uh, the speaking is so isolated in the soundscape that uh, that it seems like it was certainly recorded post it might it right. might have been it's also like the way they the way they shot it it's quite possible that they just sort of like drag you know like it's even if it was i mean even if it was how do i explain what i'm trying to say it may have been not made after the fact in the sense where they just were dubbed over the person but rather mm -hmm. made after the fact where they like dragged the person into essentially a studio and put yes, a backdrop yeah, behind them I mean. and recorded their voice you know what i mean like because right. it's it, it does match up with their lips too well for it to be yeah. ADR'd, but like it's also yeah very clearly like well we you you're you're running into a classic uh, 
sort of a singing in the rain situation here where you're like, well, our our audio recording situation here sucks balls. Uh, we're never going to be able <laughs> right, to get right, anything right. that sounds good at all out of this. So we're going to yeah, drag these yeah. people in somewhere, make them do it. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's a fun, a fun little comedy about being poor uh, and about, uh, you know, div- finding diversions from being poor. Just driving around with the very last of their gas, even. Like, they run out of gas, and uh, they push the car down, and the young guy and, and his girlfriend take off in it. And we cut back to the boss and uh, and Spitz, the guy with glasses, who's the only one whose name I remember. Um, and the boss says, yeah, it's not like I could have afforded to fill up the tank anyway. Right. Uh so, like, you know, even even the richest among them has no money. Spitz happens to have some property, which they talk about using as collateral eventually or selling outright. And it's where, where they set up the where they set up the dog sanctuary. I like uh, well, you're, you which, decide to be very euphemistic about what's happening here. Yes. Um <laughs> uh, I do love I do love that there's a whole lot of just little throw it in things that don't really come to fruition. <laughs> like, like we cut back after the car accident. There is right as they're walking away, we cut back and we see a police officer looking at the car. But like nothing, nothing with the cops ever comes comes up right. later. Uh, and then there's a moment after they start the dog business. Where we're with like the neighborhood association or something, right, right? And some guys complaining that they can't start a business, they can't start a commercial enterprise out of that cabin, uh, which also nothing ever comes of. Well, just uh, the idea that that cabin has some sort of legal regulations on it is a very funny idea, right? Anyway, it's very, yes, yes. It's like what? That is established neighborhood house somehow. This cabin in the in the park. Uh that seems like it should be a lean-to, but I don't know. It has a fence, so who knows? Uh, yeah. Yeah, when Spitz says, my cabin's nearby, I kind of assumed it would be like... Uh, there's one of the Ant- uh, Antonioni films we watched. The, the the one I can't remember the title of, but it's about uh, about how wanting environmentalism makes you a bad person. You remember? Uh, yes. Um uh, where they end up, they end up at somebody's sex sex cabin, and it's just it's just a, a lean to he has sold to one. Oh, of his employees. right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. Yeah, <laughs> yes, they're like, yeah. I I I sort of assume that's the sort of thing we were going on with Spitz when he says, "Oh, I've got a cabin nearby," I've because got, they're just like I've got a weird seemingly sex in the middle of nowhere. Nearby. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that Spitz is creepy enough that you do imagine while he's talking that like yeah, that's where exactly. this is headed. Like I mean, all all the all the signs point to Oh yeah, this guy's got a weird sex dungeon that uh he's inviting everybody over yeah. to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um anybody want to come check out my sex dungeon yeah. in the woods? And then the only the only scene of him in a sex dungeon that we see uh is him not murdering a dog, which is nice. Yeah, we find out that as far as the movie's concerned, Spitz is not, in fact, a murderous pervert. So that's good. Right. It's very good. 
I'm always glad. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> when, when the characters in the movies do not turn out to be murderous perverts. Um, so. Yeah. And then, and then their money making scheme uh, is to uh, just siphon off the only people with money left. Uh, right. Right. Sell sell dog washing services to rich people who can't, uh, who don't want to wash their own dogs, basically. And then, and then. <laughs> I mean, it seems then, I see no uh, problems. With return that. the dog for three hundred mark, marks, and then, and then, you know, if if this prize winning is a long term goal, uh, but they only won this prize because they essentially stole a dog. Uh, what is what is the long term business plan? I think keep of, stealing of dogs, winning, right? Winning I mean, very, <laughs> yeah. it seems pretty straightforward to me. Keep stealing prize winning dogs, right? Steal a dog. Give it a give it a bath. Enter it into a dog beauty contest, uh, with a with a big cash prize for some reason. Right, I'm I'm forced to assume that essentially the the long term plan will be a Cruella Deville sort of scenario where they start making dog maybe uh, dog. Yeah, clothes. that's probably true. I can't see any way the other way this is going to turn out. Yeah, somebody's going to try yeah. to turn a Dalmatian a set of Dalmatian puppies into a coat and. Luckily, these guys are so incompetent that I suspect they would fail. Yeah. Um, I mean, if Cruella can't pull it off, who can? Absolutely. Cruella's pretty incompetent too, though. <laughs> that, yes, I, that is that is you don't very true. You don't hire people like Jasper and Horace if you have competency. Well, I mean, you know, you're a good boss. G- no. Good, you know. Now, bear in mind, your 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 selection is fairly limited. When your primary job you're giving to somebody is, I need you to capture and murder hundreds of uh, puppies. Like I, I want to need That's you to come in on Sunday and go capture slash murder a bunch of puppies. Like a lot of people, I I suspect, even despite the fact that this is all supposed to be taking place in the Great Depression or something to that effect, um, I suspect right. a lot of people just say no and be like, I don't, I don't think I'm game for that. Yeah, you're probably true. Like, so you're really, uh, we're yeah. really going to be scraping the bottom of the barrel right from the beginning in a lot of ways. And you're going to have to take what you can get. Um, that being said, they are poorly managed, and and she's not good at her job of killing puppies. That's true. Well, I mean, Absolutely. not killing, but hiring people to kill puppies, really. Right. Let's yeah, she's not killing any puppies yeah, herself I mean, for sure. Although towards the end of the movie, it to... does seem pretty obvious that she's she's at her breaking point and would just go kill some puppies herself yeah that's probably for being honest like uh she does lose it towards the end of that movie she she owns the means of of puppy killing she doesn't have to do it herself she uh so into the blue and people on sunday uh i want to talk about both their endings okay sure uh and how and how maybe it's just because i was very tired by the time I watched Into the Blue, but their endings affected me differently. Okay, so Into the Blue ends very hopeful, right? They've got they've got a new business idea. It's a bad business. They're even idea, able to but, buy buy buy, a, uh, buy buy their car back. Whatever. Yeah, they've got three hundred marks to get the car back. Uh, things are looking up. Whereas People on Sunday ends 
ends very well life goes on sort of thing right uh for for the actual dialogue with our characters uh they say well we'll see you next sunday and then uh erwin says oh don't forget we're we're going to that soccer game next sunday and then we cut back to everybody goes back to work on monday and everybody's working for the weekend right looking forward to their next sunday um Kurt, by the way, at one point in his commentary, points out that uh, his interpretation of the film is that no one ever actually gets a weekend because the entire city just goes to the country and then they're all just together and doing stuff and never actually resting. Right. Uh, but anyway, um, so so uh, the ending of that one, though, despite the fact that it's, you know, there's no need for a hopeful ending in People on Sunday, right? It's just everybody goes back to work. Right. I mean, it's uh, supposed to be like, weekend. isn't isn't the way we live our lives so sad and depressing? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and probably because of that, despite the fact that both of these take place in the in the early 30s in Germany, and I know what's coming, uh, people on Sunday felt so much more bleak in the ending to me than... Well, that's understandable. I mean, day. I generally agree. Like... People on Sunday, yeah. I mean, I think that's, like, one of the goals, right? Like, people on Sunday is supposed to make you feel, oh, man, this fucking sucks. Like. Yeah. Like, even even at its time was meant to meant to make you feel. Right, oh, this, exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's. Because it's it's just everyone going back to work and, and just looking forward to their next day off, you know? And that's that's a depressing thing. Right, period, absolutely. Right? It's, it's, no matter how fun the day off was. So, Yeah. Whereas, whereas Into the Blue ends with that hope spot, but even within the context of the film, we know it's a false hope, right? They're going to get the car back, but their idea is dumb, and all of their ideas have been dumb. They're not going to make more money. Uh, but at least they've got their friendship, I don't know, until uh, for another year and a half, until everyone's living in fear. Right, I, I mean, yeah, it, it's a... Uh, well, yeah... It, <sighs> Well, bearing in mind that the the movie makers do not know that, right? Like they, they mean, of course not, of course not. But yeah. but yeah, like it's it's um, it is depressing. I agree. It's just they both I they they both are in their own way, right? They're just both are in their own special way because you know people on Sunday is directly engaging with the idea that like the way we are forced to live our lives basically just fucking sucks and. Everybody has to work yeah. for the weekend all the time. And when the weekend comes, it becomes such a precious commodity that you you almost you 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 fear to squander it, so you end up like filling it up with like stuff when and so everybody gets to the end and goes, Ah oh, fuck, where was the where did the weekend go, right? Um Right. And and on the other hand, uh into the blue is more of a sort of well you know like no one's gonna you get because the movie's aware like we're supposed to be aware as an audience that like these guys kind of are stupid their plans suck it's not gonna work out we know they're gonna be right back here later in the same situation and so you're kind of like you're also kind of left with a oh well like this also sucks right this is also bad like these guys don't have any real functional hope either and it's like well those are yeah they're i don't know and you know again we have 
the benefit of knowing exactly what's going to happen, uh, which is also a curse, right? It's the curse of knowledge, right? That like we, right? We know that the thing, like, how do I like? There are movies being made right now that will be the same thing for people ninety years from now, right? I don't. We don't know what's going to happen in this world, but like. There we are the you know the contradictions inherent in the systems and and uh, you know are really coming have been coming to a head for a while and have been able to be in, you know put off but like that's the same thing that people were you know people knew that the contradictions and stuff I mean like people on Sunday is about some of those contradictions right in a sort of very right. tangential right. way right it's very much just a view of working class people as they go about their lives, but their lives are in many ways dominated by those contradictions, right? Like the, their decision-making is entirely wrapped up in, in the problems and the, the, the issues created by those contradictions. And so, um, you run into this problem where it's like, okay, they, like I said, the, basically the sort of my thesis here is that like the world we live in is not that dissimilar to the world that they live in. And, when you start to draw those parallels, you start to wonder, like, yeah, somebody's going to watch some movies that were made in this era and go, oh, my God, like, it's so depressing that they had no idea that insert thing was going to happen, right? Because insert thing yeah. is going to happen. Like, it's right. not a matter of if. Like, again, those things, the problems are going to come to a head sooner rather than later. And, and that it's a depressing thing to think about, but like, it's also worth noting that the people who made this film, depending on how like kind of with it, they were at least has some inclination that like, yes, this is, things are bad and things are going to get worse, not better. Uh, you know, you mentioned there's, there's movies being made right now where we're in the future. Uh, let's say, well, isn't it ironic that they made this film just, just years before another mass extinction event or something. Yeah, I mean whatever uh, the thing but, is know, that's going to happen, but look around. We're we're producing circuses as we know the world's on fire. Right, you absolutely. Know, and and the yeah. the thing about it is it's worth noting that something like this is a little bit special in the sense that like it's not directly about it is as we said tangentially related. And I think those will always be in many ways the more interesting documents in some ways, right? Like there are right. people making movies about the literal like collapses and and the sort of how the, the the contradictions are coming to a head. Like there are movies about that. There's a lot of them being made right now because you can profit off of the collapse, right? You can profit off of those the the sort of like capitalism will even take its own flaws and turn them into a marketable thing, right? Like it's it's the thing is is that like the difference being that like movies like this will be more interesting because they'll just be sort of you know glimpses at a time where they are where the director's got a point but the director's not like trying to hit you over the head with it where like someone will go back and look in the later on and be like oh my god like you can see what life was like before insert event uh yeah. isn't this this is crazy like it's really depressing to like look at and and they'll be right they're they're not that will be they will be right about that in the way we're right about this you know yeah uh, i guess i guess in in contrast my point is 
we're also slightly wrong to talk about this in this because there's always something going on. Right? Well, there is always there's something always... going on. That's true. But like, keep in mind that like there are there are actual crises points where like the right. shit actually hits the fan, right? right? Like the shit's always yeah. hitting the fan a little bit. It's more a matter of like the sort of velocity at which it does so, and and sort of the the quantity as well. Right. Right? And obviously, we are on in watching this movie, we are on a brink of of right. We're about massive, to have one of those shit hits more amounts of shit and, and, to hit and, and really large fans. Those and literally, it's the same contradictions, right? It's the same yeah. problems coming to a head, and to a certain extent, the system is able to put them off for X number of years. But in many ways, the the methods by which they were put off for 70 years bring about the next crisis, which will conceivably be worse, right? Like, will be even more devastating. You know what I mean? Because it's not going... You can't, you can't put things off to de-escalate them, right? They're not going to be... Like, the contradictions didn't go away just because you, like, were able to, like, convince everybody to ignore them for another 70 years. Um, I don't know. It's just interesting to think about. Like, I'm just saying that, like... You know, we, you and I have probably seen some of the because like this is an ongoing thing and it's and it's escalating all the time. Like we've watched some of the earlier pieces of that, right? Like we've watched movies from like I don't know what's the latest movie we've watched uh, for this is you know when I, I'm I've lost track. I, I was what it, do you mean? was it two thousand eight? Timing wise, the most. Yeah, 2008, 2010. Yeah, and so, like, uh, you know, we're right getting to the there. point where there's yeah. things that are contemporary to, like, you know, are not that much further away from, like, than this is from whatever's going to, whatever could happen, right? Again, we don't know exactly what the timing is, but it does, I don't know, I've got a sort of impression for a while now that we're, we are kind of in a collapse of the, we're, we're not quite there, but we're not that far from a sort of collapse of the Weimar Republic sort of. Uh, time period. You know what I mean. Uh, in terms of yeah, how things have been going yeah. recently. <laughs> we are in a collapsing republic. It's true. Well, we're we're in a collapsing republic, but like bearing in mind that the collapse of the well, Weimar I Republic. The, well, I am too. But like, uh, the yes. the collapse of the Weimar Republic is symptomatic of of a greater sort of problem with the sort of economic structure of society at the time, right? And and the way things right. are, you know, those sort of structuring of society in general around those economic structures, and if one considers that, like, the class of the Weimar Republic is symptomatic of and like shows it very clearly, but like everybody's th- everybody's place did the same thing, just in different, slightly different ways. You know what I mean? And yeah. and this whatever is going to happen next will be global as too as well because that economic structure is the only operating economic structure in the entire world, right? So following our mandate, you know, per our mandate, I'm going to make this about communism, okay? It's my job. That's what I'm paid for. Everything needs to be. Everything everything needs to be material material analysis and that sort of stuff. So it's, you know, materialism and all that, historical materialism and stuff like that. It's the rules. I didn't write them. I just follow them. Yeah, and and you know and you know the good route. You you I don't know. It just I don't know. It it just seems to a certain extent kind of obvious, right? Like when one takes especially into consideration that like we know how these things have played out before, and we know what caused them, and 
and rather than doing really deep analysis and 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 correction to fix those contradictions and flaws because you know fixing them would require an abandonment of of the current uh, economic structure again there was just just band-aids paste after paste thrown on top right and you know that doesn't work forever and bear in mind that even right. the collapse of the Ryan, you know, the you know the Great Depression is symptomatic of previous bandages that were put over the the contradictions, oh, yeah. you know, earlier in that, even in the same century. Uh, so, you know, right? Yeah, no, uh, and the Great Depression gets talked about uh, mostly because. This it's still in living memory, but the depression of eighteen seventy seven was worse. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and well, and, uh, yeah, it's just like who who you know we don't nobody has grandmas from that period, right? Um, but yeah, right. you're absolutely yeah. right. And you know what what that ended with is uh, a time of massive uh, labor uh, organizing. Uh, that uh, also shut down the country, and then led to the establishment of all the all the police agencies, <laughs> state police agencies around the country, as uh, as capital put the enforcement of uh, strike breaking onto the state right. successfully, where uh, it remains. Yeah, where it remains. Uh, yeah. There is, you know, there, there's a railroad strike in 1877, literally called the Great Upheaval. We never talk about it, but it's called the Great Upheaval because, uh, you know, something like in in Pittsburgh, something like 200 train cars were destroyed uh, by striking workers. Uh, it was in response to the third or fourth pay reduction because of the 1870s depression to happen in a year. Uh, and everybody just had enough, uh, and they they occupied rail yards, they destroyed rail cars, they burned down buildings, right? And and and, and then we sort of find a, a sort of a, the resulting knock on effect. Late, you know, 70, 60, 70 years later is is sort of yeah. the mass adoption and development of fascism as a sort of a, a social oh, yeah. model to yeah. help deal with those contradictions and. And right. and to deal with the the I, in, uh, with the organization within the within the working class, and it's just going to be it's going to be interesting in the way that like terrifying things are interesting to see what the response of capital will be to the current contradictions yeah. that exist in the system, and 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 people's responses to those. Right? It seems yeah. so far no. to just be what if we did police but more? Uh, yeah. No. Historically, historically, the Great Upheaval was really interesting. Because I have read like firsthand accounts of police and national guardsmen's uh, <laughs> national guardsmen's of police officers and national guardsmen uh, tasked with quelling this uh, rebellion, saying no, having class solidarity, uh, and then. Uh, <laughs> And then within 20 years, in response to not only more rail strikes, but coal mining strikes, uh, we get 
Pennsylvania first, outsourcing that to the state with the with the Pennsylvania state troopers, uh, and that and that rolling down the line, West Virginia, uh, New York, Ohio. You know, I've talked previously about how all of those all of all of those state trooper organizations start as as strike breakers. Uh, you know, and that's you know that <laughs> that conglomeration of capital power and political power is fascism. Right, so, absolutely. And, uh, and and the thing is is that like yeah. what I what I'm saying is is that like both both sort of both sides of sort of the dialectic continue to evolve, right, and change. And so we're at a point where in many ways we've got the sort of the 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 step of like the hyper sort of fascistic movements by the state have already like taken place, right? Like we 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 kind of tell ourselves that we live in a in a sort of free society or something like that. But like we've essentially neither of you have and I, you neither you nor I have lived in a place that was not a police state our entire lives, right? For it for sort of all sort of in functioning terms, right? Like we've existed in a in a sort of fascistic environment since day one, right? We're like, like as we were sort of discussing the movies being ma- made in many ways, like these kinds of movies being made right now. Are being made in 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 a world where somebody is going to go, holy shit! They made this while that was happening, huh? That's creepy. That's kind of terrifying right. to think about. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just extending those situations onto like your real life is like a kind of terrifying thing to think about. Uh, so let's uh, let's not do it anymore. <laughs> let's not unnecessarily scare ourselves right now. Yeah, that's probably for the best. Um, let's just go back to hanging out on the beach. Well, and, exactly. Uh, and that's the thing, right? It's like all those things are in many ways responses to, like, is the sort of normal person's response to all the stuff that's going on, which is like, well, I mean, you have to take breaks, right? Like, you have to do absolutely. things, right? Yeah. You can't just exist in a state of, like, pseudo panic at all times. Uh, right. So doesn't doesn't do anyone any good. Well, and it will it uh, will it will actively kill you, right? Like you will you will right. sort of set up the conditions for your own death at that point, right? To from stress right. and stuff. Right. You've got to be able to breathe. You do need to organize. But organizing is what gives us the ability to right. breathe. Right. Maybe organize right. on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe have a conversation uh, about alienation while you're standing on the beach. Right. Like it seems actually like a pretty good place. Italian though, movie. Frankly. Yeah. That we had. I <laughs> can't remember which one that was. I mean, there were there were um, more than one, I think, actually. But yeah. Yeah, but that one particularly was the one about the guy from Milan who goes back home to Sicily. Oh yeah, and which gets one is drafted that one? into yeah. being an assassin in New York what is for the a name minute? Of that movie. That was a that was an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. It's just you know, I I these make for really this is a really particularly interesting sort of historical artifact in a lot of ways, right? It's a they're particularly interesting historical artifact that from like a f- sort of filmmaking perspective, like they're really mostly interesting because of their time, their place, and the people involved. The movie itself is mm-hmm. fine. 
It's a fairly pleasant watch. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't really extend my praise much beyond that. It's about a couple of male chauvinists and uh, and the young women who are annoyed by them. Yeah, who, so. who tolerate them. I I love. Can, we've talked about this before. I love movie blurbs. They are yeah. one of the greatest art forms ever conceived of by man. And uh-huh. the ones for this are like kind of amazing because uh, I think it might be the Wikipedia one. Their plot summary is like. Mm-hmm. With two women, or like two men go, I, I forget exactly what they say, but basically their statement is like, who seem to prefer each other's company over the company of the young women there who are accompanying them. And it's like such a funny way to say what's happening here. I don't know. I, I love when people try to like like summarize movies into short little blurbs. It just, it, it it's an endless bounty of joy for me. I Yeah. And then, and then. No other, like, no streaming service or anything will give you anything about what the movie's about. The Criterion Channel does not say anything about the movie because it's so right. busy talking about, like, why, essentially why was the movie chosen to be in the Criterion Collection. It's, like, probably right. basically immediately prefacing the sort of normal sort of discussion we have about it because it's like, well, okay, just to be clear here, it's famous because of all these X, Y, and Z people in it and... You know, it's sort of like as a historical document and it's like, okay, but like, could you tell me, could you give me a, you know, three line plot summary, please? No, we're not going to do that. We're here exclusively to give you the, uh, why we chose it. But yeah, I, I, just the idea that, that, that a, a good synopsis of this movie is that these, these men are on a holiday or, you know, kind of a, a weekend out with their, with a couple women and they like each other more than they like the women they're with. <laughs> this is a very funny thing. to write. Well, they're just best friends. Yeah. Yeah. They, they do seem to like fucking around with each other and, 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 you know, yeah. Treating the women they're with well, badly. Wolfgang, at least, is very interested in the women. Oh, yeah. Uh, the other guy's got... He's, he's got a hot model girlfriend at home who he hates. Well, the thing so is, is like, they're, you know, they're, they're both interested in those women in the boat. Yeah. Um, which is just like... It's, it's so... It's so funny as a sort of concept of the movie that, like, they're actively flirting with these two women on the boat while they're on another boat with the women they brought to the beach. It's like, wow. Yeah, but the women they brought to the beach don't need them in that moment. If they rescue these other girls, they have a chance. Because they're heroes. Right. I mean, to be fair, these women already did agree to go to the beach with them, but I don't know. Yeah. It's a very straight, it's just very funny. It's the, the, some of the setups in the, in the movie are, are, are amusing. They are, well, not, I don't know if I would go out on a limb and say funny. They are amusing. Uh, I don't know. It's just it's funny to think that like they sat down and like on a week, you know, every weekend sort of just kept extending this story out. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like they would show up at the beach and be like, "All right, so what are we going to add this week?" <laughs> yeah. What if they try to eat sausage? And it goes terribly right. wrong. The 
The idea that this film of meant to be a documentary look at one weekend out of town is filmed over the course of six to eight weekends. Yeah, exactly. It's very no funny. One, I don't and know. no one really has any idea of what, what they should be showing. Right. Absolutely. It's very silly yeah. too. Right. It's a weekend it's a weekend excursion made by people who've never taken a weekend excursion, apparently. Well, so. one wonders, right, if like, you know, to a certain extent that might possibly be true, right? Because we yeah. are in in the throes of the depression, right? Like, right. Their their only weekend excursion is a weekend excursion to do work, essentially. Right. Is a as a fascinating. It's fascinating to consider the possibility that like part of the reason why this is so weird is the fact that like none of them actually get to take real holidays, and instead th- this is the only sort of holiday they could make. Ha- like, you know what I mean? Like. Oh, it's just interesting to think about it from that perspective to me. I'm like, oh yeah, like well, we, you know, we we don't actually get to go to the beach for fun. That's not that hasn't happened in in a year. But then again, you know, we're like a year in, right? We're like a year into the depression at this point. So like everybody remembers a better time. Right. Bearing in mind that these these young people are going through much of what you and I experience, which is like, oh, I'm entering the workforce right around the time that all the shit's falling apart. <laughs> the wheels yeah. have come off the fucking train, and here we are. What a time to be alive. Yeah. Maybe one of them should move to Japan. It does work. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it as a, 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 a like a sort of fix-all solution, but it did work for me. Um, but yeah, no, it's sort of a, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's just like the idea that they're like, oh, you know, I, I, well, the thing is, of course, you know, we are talking about, you know, an earlier time, they probably have all already been working since they were like, like early teens, but. I don't. I don't actually have a lot more to say about the movie, because it is. It is in many ways very. As a movie sort of experience, it is very basic. Um, as you did point out, like it does have a, some of that sort of cinema veritas type of stuff. Although it is very clearly plotted. Uh, but then again, you know, when you're talking about French New Wave or something like that, like those are all plot yeah. movies. They they feature right. not actors, but they all have plots. Yeah, right. but they're also all plot movies that are quasi-improv in that oftentimes they are being written or rewritten right before shoot. Right, just like this. So it, it, it almost just nearly like identical in almost every capacity, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and to the point that someone's doing that pre-war is very interesting to Yeah, absolutely. Right, Total. That's 100% yeah. true. Like that... There's, there's a lot of really historically interesting things about this movie. Just none of those things are sort of what, you know, the what the actual movie. You know what I mean? Does it make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Which is why none of the blurbs talk about, none the blurb on the Criterion Channel never mentions any of the plot of the movie. Right. Because <laughs> the plot of the movie itself, eh. Some people it's all right. go to the I... beach and some dudes act like assholes. I think it, uh, the fact that Ani sleeps the entire day. Is, is, that is maybe the actually only funny joke of the movie. Like, truly yeah, funny no, thing that good. happens in the movie is the fact that she gets home and, they're, and it's like, 
oh man, we have an excursion today. Let's go. And it's like just that that part is actually <laughs> that was twelve hours ago. Yeah, that that part is legitimately funny. <clears throat> right. Now, if this were if this were an American silent comedy, Charlie Chaplin made this movie. Uh, not only would she wake up at eight p.m. finally ready to go to their eight a.m. excursion, uh, but it also would have just been the worst day. Uh, you know, our our protagonist would be arriving home with all of his clothes torn. Yeah, yeah right. His, like he's been chased and his by face a dog black or because he yeah. blew up something. Yeah, yeah. Or and and but additionally, there's a decent chance that like. Charlie Chaplin, Chaplin or somebody like that would make the movie long. Like it would be shorter at the beginning, so that he has to go to the beach again with her. Yes, because yes. that's that's part of how, how that has to work. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, but this is also a movie that maybe respects its women more than uh, most other comedies of the time would have. Yeah. So I, that's probably yeah. true too. Yep. Yeah. Uh yeah, and you know, like I said, I think it's uh to the actual art of the piece, it is interesting as a very humanistic look at uh the Weimar Republic in its last days. Uh and yeah, it's obviously got a lot going on behind the camera to make it something the Criterion Collection would be interested in. I'm interested in it. As I that am stuff too. too. I I I, I yeah. was too, and I mean, like, it's just I don't know. It's I it that engages you to a certain extent, and then sort of at some point, it's like, okay, well, I need you to like make the movie a movie now, please. Which it was fine. I mean, like, I could watch it. It wasn't like I couldn't watch it or anything like that. It was sort of like, oh, okay, we're really mostly in this for like all the sort of contextual elements about it. Well, we can probably pull this one to a close. This week we've been talking about People on Sunday, uh, directed by Robert Cinemac, uh Edgar Ulmer, uh, and involving Kurt Cinemac, Eugene Shufflin, Billy Wilder, and Freddie Zinman. Uh, also, uh, Edwin Shufflin's 1931, Into the Blue. Uh, both... Decent little pictures taking a look at uh, a time period in Germany that we don't have a lot of film of that's like this, certainly. Because we do have M. Uh, and M's a very different movie. <laughs> Fritz Lang is making very different Yeah, that's very true. To that's what we're looking at, right? True, yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just, I guess, another thing, actually, before we end is just the fact that we're seeing art from Germany at this time that isn't that sort of German expressionist. Right. Uh, right. You know, this is very down to earth, you know, not, not set pieces, impressive, beautiful set pieces, German expression, beautiful. Uh, but this is a very different thing to those animals as well. Right. Well, and, and, that, and that kind very, of, what it does point to is a sort of like, you know, like we talk about eras in, 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 in filmmaking and art in general, but it's also worth noting that there's always people breaking those molds and and doing other things, yeah. no matter like no matter how sort of dominant a single sort of artistic expression, form of artistic expression is at the time. There's always people like, on the sort of margins doing, weirder, right, different stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. And the fact that those guys on those margins are the assistant directors and camera operators for all of those big German expressionist things too. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. Uh, but yeah, next week uh, we will be talking about a 1960 Louis Mal film, Zazie dans le Metro, kicking off a pair of Molly films uh, with Black Moon following it up. Looking forward to that. Thank you so much for listening to The Lost in Criterion. I'm, as always, the Adam Glass. And with me, as always, John Patrick Otari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My co-host is John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter at jpatrickdorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening. <laughs>